Welcome to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience dating, love, and relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach and attachment expert, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. So in this episode, we're going to be doing another Q&A. If you listened to the last Q&A episode, that was sort of all around answering your dating questions. Today, I'm going to be answering some questions around avoidant attachment to continue the theme of this week, where we've explored some traits of both the dismissive avoidant and the fearful avoidant attachment styles. So a lot of the questions that I've received are coming from the perspective of an anxiously attached person um, and sort of getting at how best to navigate being in relationship with an avoidant partner. So just to give you a bit of context for where we're going, a lot of these questions do explore, you know, how to navigate those conflicting needs. As you may be aware, it can be challenging for an anxious and an avoidant person to be in relationship with one another, notwithstanding that that is actually pretty common as a pairing. So I think that this will be useful for a lot of people in understanding how to navigate those differences and how to better understand one another. So with all of that being said, the first question is, what is the best way to communicate to your avoidant boyfriend without blaming? And I think that this question, you know, there's, there's some wisdom in it and there's some self-awareness in it. Um, and I suspect that comes from experience being that blaming is not well received with avoidant people and anything that even has the slightest hint of feeling like blaming is not going to be very well received. So to contextualize this, let's remember that the avoidant person um, is really protective of their independence, very protective of their autonomy, um, and they can experience other people's needs or other people wanting something from them as pretty threatening and pretty unsafe. And so if you're communicating to your partner and they are on the avoidant side of the street and you're, you know, listing out all of the things that are wrong and all the things that are bothering you and all the things you need from them in order for you to be happy, they are going to 100% they're going to receive that as critical as blaming, as attacking, um, and their response is likely to be, you know, what do you want from me? To be really defensive um, and to throw that right back at you. They're not going to receive that in a way that, that they're able to do anything with it. So what's the best way to communicate to someone without it spiraling into that attack, defend kind of mode of communication and conflict? I think there are a few tips here. One of them would be you know, ask your partner almost for permission, like when's a good time to chat. Um, that still might, you know, send them into contraction. That still might not feel totally safe for them, but it's definitely going to be better than if they feel ambushed. If you sort of come at them as soon as you're feeling, you know, and particularly if you are feeling charged um, and you spring that conversation on them, they're going to feel ambushed and attacked. Um, so 
that would be one tip, sort of a structural piece. In terms of how to actually communicate, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of nonviolent communication. That's something that you can Google. It's a whole, you know, brilliant body of work. Um, but, you know, the point there being like, how can I express like the underlying need of mine rather than criticizing or judging your behavior from a place of evaluation and telling you how you're wrong or how you're not good enough or how you're not doing enough? Because there is a really, um, it's almost like to be expected that someone will get defensive, right? If they're on the receiving end of that. So one way of thinking about it, and, and I find this really helpful because I think it's usually quite easy to access is like, what is the desire underneath my criticism? If I've got a complaint or criticism, how can I figure out what the desire is that's underneath that or the unmet need? So you know, the, the criticism might be, we never hang out anymore, or like, you're always on your phone, or you never make any effort to spend time with me, right? That's a criticism or a complaint. What the desire might be under that is, I miss you. And I love when we hang out, it really means a lot to me. Would you be open to, you know, scheduling some time for us to do that? I think when we flip it into something more invitational, and that almost feels like a compliment, someone's much less likely to receive that as blaming, as a comment on their inadequacy, um, as criticism, as, you know, a level of, of need that they can't feel like they have the capacity to respond to. So that would be my advice. Okay. The next question is how can you get someone to realize that they're avoidant? Will they ever? Um, and I sort of chuckle at this question because God knows I've tried before, <laughs> trust me, um, you know, tearing my hair out, pointing it at lists in a book being like, do you see, this is proof of what I've been telling you. Um, and if that's where this question's coming from, I would caution you against, um, using like your assessment of someone's state as, you know, ammunition or as like proof or a way to like bolster your argument or validate yourself. Um, I understand that that can often be coming from a place of, you know, in a real anxious avoidant relationship, one of the like typical expressions of that is that the avoidant person will insist that the anxious person is the problem. <laughs> um, and they'll sort of say like, you know, you're the one who's always causing the fights and you're the one who's always getting upset and you're the one who's always emotional. I'm fine. Um, and so I think anxious people, when they come across this body of work and there's like, a name and a label for, for their partner. And they can point to all of the things they feel this sense of relief. And like, I'm not the crazy one. It's not all me. You're in the wrong as well. Um, and while I understand that, and I think that's very natural. I would really be mindful of, of weaponizing that and trying to use it against your partner in some way, because I don't think that that's healthy. Um, and I don't think that that's compassionate and, um, if your partner is ever to realize that they're avoidant, which they absolutely may, that's not going to be the way to get them there. Right. Because again, looking at the avoidant person in context and everything we know about that, um, anything that feels critical, attacking, um, blaming their walls go up very quickly. And so that's not going to be the path in there. Um, and you know, I think that 
Like the label is less important than understanding that intimacy is hard for them, right? Um, and that certain things are really challenging for them. I think I'd be more interested in creating safety and, and taking small steps towards having those kinds of conversations where there may be some acknowledgement of what they struggle with rather than getting them to claim the label. Cause I think that's a bit more about like ego and, and competition and, and maybe your own validation than it is about like trying to help them. Okay. This next one, you know, I get this question most days in some form and it is, can an anxiously attached person be in a relationship with an avoidantly attached person happily? And the short answer is yes, of course. Um, there's nothing stopping any combination of attachment styles from being in relationship with one another. Um, but it will be more challenging than other combinations. That's not to say that it's not possible. It's not to say that if you're in a relationship with an avoidant person as an anxious person or vice versa, um, that you should just give up because it's too hard and it's irreparable or it's, um, you know, it's too great a mountain to climb. Um, but it will be challenging because in many respects you have, you know, needs and preferences that sit at the opposite end of a spectrum. And so there is a lot of negotiation that needs to happen there in order for you to both, um, find a happy medium. And I think that, you know, one of the things that one of the necessary ingredients you could say in order for that to work and be a healthy relationship is that there does need to be some level of commitment on both sides and some level of um, responsibility and acknowledgement on both sides that, you know, we both have work to do here. And I would say that because the anxiously attached person tends to be more committed to being in a relationship, they will often be the one who does more work because they're more committed to holding on to the relationship. Um, whereas the avoidant person, when things get hard, they are more likely to um, be willing to walk away, right? Because remember, like their starting position is relationships that are unsafe. And this is how I get hurt by being in relationship. And so as soon as it's hard, they're likely to pull away and, and they may be much more willing to just cut their losses and, and run, um, when things get hard, whereas the anxious person will, you know, go to great lengths to try and preserve the relationship. So I think that if you're an anxious person in relationship with an avoidant person, um, your work is yes, to be committed to that, but also to make sure that you're not doing all of the heavy lifting and that you're not doing all of the compromising um, such that you're, you know, going 95% of the way there and they're only doing 5% of the work because I think it can happen that way. Um, if you're an avoidant person, your work is to increase your tolerance for doing the work in relationship, you know, to having hard conversations, to figuring out what a happy medium is, to giving up some of your, um, you know, staunch independence and autonomy and recognizing that like there's another person here and, and, their needs are important too. And that can be really hard, but that's kind of what your work is as the avoidant partner. Okay. 
Just ended a five-year anxious avoidant relationship. How do I know if it was real love? When I hear this question, you know, how do I know if it was real love? My initial response is, I'm not sure that you're asking the right question, or I'm not sure that you're asking the question that is going to allow you to process and move on. Because in either version of the answer, I'm not sure what that gives you. You know, was it real love? Um, you know, probably. I think that I think that even when a relationship is tumultuous or is uh, challenging, is high conflict, that doesn't mean that there wasn't real love there. There can be a lot of love there. It's just that, you know, you're also scaring each other and you don't know how to be in a safe, regulated relationship and you're, you're triggering each other a lot. Um, you know, another way of putting that might be to say that just because something's not secure love doesn't mean it's not real. Um, I think the, the better view and a more helpful reframe is what can I learn from this relationship in terms of what it cost me to be in a relationship that didn't feel safe and didn't feel healthy? Um, what can I take away from this to inform my next relationship so that I'm going to be approaching that um, with my eyes open and really understanding how that can be and how hard that can be when I lose myself to this kind of relationship. So I think the, how do I know if it was real love is maybe not the most helpful question to be asking yourself. And the better one is what can I learn from this experience? Okay. The last question here is how to reconnect after no contact with an avoidant partner. And I guess what I would say to begin with is <laughs> manage your expectations here because if an avoidant has gone quiet on you, they're probably, they, they've probably, you know, deactivated, disengaged. Um, it does sort of depend on the period of time here. You know, if we're talking about a day versus a week versus a month, um, but usually they pull away to self-regulate when they're feeling overwhelmed when they're feeling unsafe, when they're feeling triggered, when they're feeling like it got too close for comfort. Um, and depending on the context, they may be open to reconnecting, but they may also have just decided that it was too much and they've, they've moved on to the next, you know, relationship or the next person where it's, you know, sufficiently casual that they feel safe. And that can be the reality. Um, Practically speaking, you know, what to say, I would start with something that is relatively casual because if you lead with something, you know, emotional or, you know, asking something of them, you know, asking them how they feel, asking them what's happening, asking them for answers, that's not going to yield the, the response that you want, almost certainly. Um, so if you are looking to reconnect and, and reopen a line of contact and communication. I'd be doing that in a more, you know, open-ended, casual way, like just checking in with how they're going. Um, but I suppose the caveat to all of that is to be really mindful of your own expectations and what you're hoping to get out of it um, and really preparing yourself for the possibility that they have deactivated because, you know, they feel unsafe or for whatever reason 
um, and just, yeah, to manage your own expectations around that and make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your needs and not just trying to, you know, shape shift or bend over backwards to, you know, deliver the message in the perfect way so as to not trigger them um, all the while you're maybe not honoring yourself and your own needs. So that would be my suggestion there. All right, guys, that was today's questions. I hope that you found that helpful. If you have any other questions, please feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. I do make note of them all and I will address as many of them as I can, either here or on Instagram. So please keep sending them through. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining me and I will speak to you again soon. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at Stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. I've got loads of free content there. Plus, if you're interested, you can join the waitlist for the next round of my signature six-week program, Healing Anxious Attachment. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you soon.